Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC, a sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, February 14th, 2021, Transfiguration Sunday in the calendar of the church, is entitled Insight. It's a reflection on a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to learn more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, or would like to join us for worship some Sunday live via Zoom, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. And now we hear from the Reverend Maddie Foster, reading first from Scripture in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them, and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying, Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone there except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after the human one had risen from the dead. Today, friends, we journey up the mountain with Peter and James and John to witness the transfiguration of Jesus. It feels like we were just with Jesus when he was baptized in the River Jordan. We heard that story only a few weeks ago. But for these three disciples who have been traveling and teaching with Jesus, this moment has probably been a long time coming. Between Jesus's baptism and his transformation on the top of the mountain, an entire year had passed and then another. And now Jesus and the disciples were in their third year of teaching and healing and taking off leaders, of hoping someone would pony up a couple fish or bread for lunch, and of walking, walking, and walking all over Galilee. It's likely that the novelty of the early days had long worn off. Perhaps some of the disciples even found themselves wondering, What's the point of all of this? Will we still be walking like this next year? Two years from now? Five years? It's easy for us with the gift of hindsight to forget how much blood, sweat, and tears came before this mountaintop moment. Perhaps the disciples were weary, but still they were showing up 
They were going to follow this thing through to the end as best they could. So here we are with Peter, James, and John witnessing Jesus's transformation on the top of the mountain, watching as he is joined by Moses and Elijah, as his entire body shines from the inside out, as his entire self is transfigured, transformed into this new state of being and understanding. And that's about all we're going to talk about Jesus today. And instead, we're going to turn our attention to Peter. Peter, who in the last chapter of Mark had been scolded by Jesus. Do you remember that story? Jesus is telling the disciples what lies ahead for uh, for him, the events of Holy Week to come. And Peter says, no, Jesus, you've got to be wrong. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. And still, in this moment, there's room for Peter, flaws and frailties and all, to be invited up the mountain, to dwell in the mystery of God's presence there with Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And how do the disciples respond to this moment of deep transformation? At first, they are terrified. That's their first response to the awesomeness of God's self, and it is one that makes sense. I know, progressive Christians tend to shy away from talking about fearing God. I wonder if we get a little in our own head about this. We yearn to undo harmful theology of a God whose primary role is judge and punisher, that we might forget that at the same time, there is good or reasonable fear too. That same fear that maybe keeps us from walking into the street without looking both ways. So in this story, fear is a good and faithful response. And it's a reminder to all of us that when we're faced with something so unknowable, and so much bigger than ourselves, we can admit that we are at least a little bit afraid. Admitting it means we don't know, we know that we don't know everything, that we can't control everything, that there's something just beyond our knowing, beyond ourselves. At the precipice of the unknown and the unimaginable, the disciples' first response, perhaps ours as well, is understandably fear. But fear is not Peter's only response. Almost immediately, and so quickly that it gets a mention before his initial initial emotional reaction, Peter's next response is to jump into action. I have to read this part to you again, but this time from the contemporary English version of the Bible. Peter said to Jesus, teacher, it is for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But Peter and the others were terribly frightened, and he did not know what he was talking about. Peter's response is obviously rooted in reverence 
and love and the desire to do something, anything, even if it wasn't what was actually needed. Because it wasn't the right time to be building booths or setting up shrines. Jesus had already told them there was still more to come. They had to go back down the mountain and forward to Jerusalem. This transformation experience is not just the culmination of the last two and a half years. And despite their being on a literal mountaintop, Jesus's transformation is not even the pinnacle of his story either. American author Cheryl Strayed writes, I used to see a butterfly in my mind's eye every time I heard the word transformation. But life has schooled me. Transformation isn't a butterfly. It's the thing before you get to be a pretty bug flying away. It's huddling in a dark cocoon and then pushing your way out. It's the messy work ahead of you of making sense of your fortunes and misfortunes, desires and doubts, hangups and sorrows, actions and accidents, mistakes and successes, so you can go on and become the person you must next become. This transformation of Jesus and our own transformations, brilliant and overwhelming as they may be, are not single moments, but many moments of grief and struggle, of joy and contentment, of drudgery, all woven together, understood now more fully for their purpose in our lives and our place in God's story. Think of your own transformative moments. That is the moment that you knew and could name that a transformation was occurring inside of you. Now think about what was happening in your life before that moment. What did your cocoon look like? And was that moment of transformation the only one you've ever experienced? Was it the highest point and ending of your story? Of course it wasn't, because our lives aren't perfect 45 degree angles that end when we've reached the very top. And Jesus' Jesus's life wasn't either, so we're in good company there. Instead, our lives are maybe more like an EKG with peaks and valleys and everything in between. Or maybe sometimes we think that it would be more accurate to say that our lives are a squiggly mess of lines that double back and cross over and move around in ways we didn't expect. I find that it often feels like the latter when I'm still in that dark goo of the cocoon that liminal space before I'm able to see my own transformation for what it is or what it might be. But after I can name it, it begins to untangle and instead of a mess of squiggly lines, it looks more like a labyrinth. Can you imagine it? With many curves, but one long and continuous path that draws us close to the center and then brings us back out again. Over and over, we come to the center, we are transformed, we are sent out.
Richard Brexport Culligan, an American psalmist and musician says that we find resurrection in the midst of life, in the midst of struggle on mountains and in valleys, in the middle of the journey, not at the end. So let's take a last couple of minutes to consider how we might be transforming in this moment, perhaps as individuals, but certainly as a community and as a society. Because like the disciples following Jesus, we have been at this pandemic thing for a year already, entering now into our second year, wondering when it will end. The novelty of Zoom birthdays and weddings and maybe even worship might be wearing off. We may have a collection of masks in our favorite colors and in styles that we love to share and show others. And we may still long for the day when we can go to the grocery store and see each other smile and grimace and everything else. We may be weary of being alone or being with the same people 24 seven or of not being able to hug our grandparents or cuddle new babies or have dinner out with our friends. This thinking is not just an exercise in futility. It is acknowledging that we are in the darkness of the cocoon and something new is going to emerge. Perhaps we can already sense that something is emerging as we hear folks of folks receiving the vaccine or maybe even have an appointment made for ourselves. We can begin to imagine an end to our separation. And maybe we get so giddy that we start making plans for what we'll do two weeks after we get that second shot. Well, have you heard the fable about the man and the butterfly? He sees the butterfly struggling to break free and, and runs to grab scissors and cut the cocoon open, only to realize that his help didn't help at all. So now in this moment of emerging, we need to resist the urge to run and grab scissors or to build shrines on the mountain to rush our emerging. We haven't yet come to the other side of this mountain, this transfiguration, but can you imagine what new thing we will be when we do? How will we be a church that better responds to the needs of the world after this? How will we appreciate each other's presence when we're not trying to figure out if we're actually six feet apart? Can you imagine that this disturbance might actually be a wave that pushes us forward, moves us and carries us beyond the island of ourselves and into relationship with one another. Beloved, in this season of transition, we may find that we are unsure of what lies ahead of us, and still we can live in the hope of this liminal space. So let's pause here, just before the beginning of our Lenten season of reflection, and let's respond to this invitation to sit with our grief or our fear, 
even while we dwell in this holy anticipation of the transformation and resurrection and emerging journey that is still to come. Amen.